0: yeah i i'm yeah i understand. I still don't have words <laughs> there's no there's no good way to start this one i <laughs> i just for context, I'm staring at Rion through a webex, and I've got like two other tabs. Minimum open that are like Twitter alone, uh, news from every source. I'm sure Rian's got the same thing. We're only going to be talking about the Super League on, on this <laughs> podcast. Just if that was not clear from the first 13 seconds that you listened to this. I, I, what's up, Rian? <laughs> what's
1: good? <laughs> oh, wow. uh Crazy, a crazy three days, really. From Sunday till just like, an hour and a half, or two hours ago, um, <laughs> from that, from basically Sunday morning till 2 p.m. Wednesday, it, like, uh, just too much, too much to follow all at once, obviously, and, um, and we saw something come full circle, like, we saw, we saw basically an attempted coup, um, fail, and, as like one of my roommates was, has said like all the lieutenant's that s- tried to stage the coup um some of them are now being like forced to resign and kicked out so i i i think we should just get into it <laughs> there's there's not much not yeah. much else um to ponder here uh yeah
0: i i mean yeah let's jump right into it i mean the reason why I will say that we did not record a La Liga podcast last week is because I got my second shot of the vaccine and just was not, not a human for like 24 hours. So apologies for that. But apparently we have bigger things to to discuss anyway. So Rian, let's just start off then by talking about what the Super League is, right? What like let's let's help everyone understand. The, define the Super League.
1: Oh, we should. Maybe we should say. Was now like hopefully, (laughs) or or more or or more cynically, what this version of the Super League was. But fair, fair, uh... (laughs) fair. I'm I'm not I'm not going to argue semantics for the purpose of this.
0: But yes, I I I hear you. I (laughs) hear validated.
1: No, but the but this is what we got on Sunday. What was it around? I feel like what six o'clock eastern time here in the u.s basically but yeah. after midnight late into the night um in europe we get the announcement from these 12 teams who were basically forming a breakaway league to further monopolize and i think the keyword there is further monopolize like the revenues uh of your Euro- of uh european soccer basically right and, and so the league itself was meant to be 2020 t- twenty teams comprised of the fifteen founders in quotes and five annual qualifiers right and their whole 12, twelve founders- tw- well the total thing they wanted was five was fifteen founders yes well yes, they, they only had twelve on board when uh when the announcement came out, which you know we' we'll, we'll get into just the i mean. The lack of um, planning and the lack of um, <laughs> any sort of coherent, you, you know, strategy for for doling this out that um, was led by by these clubs. Right. But they were hoping to start in August. Who knows if it was this August or next August, they were hoping to start in August with the clubs participating in two groups of 10 playing home and away with the top three in each group automatically qualifying for the quarterfinals teams finishing in fourth and fifth would then compete in a two-legged playoff for the remaining quarterfinal positions. a two-leg knockout format would then be used to reach the final at the end of the season in may um which would end up being staged as a single fixture at a neutral venue and obviously that sounds a lot like something that we already have at at least from that at least from the um the knockout stage area right to in concept, today, I yeah. although i i, I know yeah. that um sid lowe said on on the spanish football podcast that you know he envisioned that this if it occurred would have ended up being played at a neutral venue probably not in europe down the down the road yes. not maybe not in the yes. first couple couple iterations of it right but down the road so that they, there. Hope was hope was to play these games in the midweek. All the clubs remain in their domestic leagues. They had already had what is probably only a verbal agreement from J.P. Morgan Chase, who were committing to underwriting 3.25 billion euros. So somewhere around four billion, four and a half billion TLDR. Lots of money (laughs) that (laughs) would be shared. A (laughs) ton of money. (laughs) Yeah, that would be shared among the clubs um that joined the competition among the 15 founding clubs we should say and the deal was rumored to be amortized over 23 years so you're talking about a 23 year loan <laughs> that was basically um <laughs> they were trying to lock the, you know another way of locking this in right for in a long-term sense on top of all and this... and the one thing oh. the one thing i'll
0: add Rion is that the revenue projection for those 23 years was forecasted to be around 10 billion euros over 23 years which is unheard of quite frankly um just that figure alone
1: yeah and and the kind of even more insidious part of this is those the 15 founders who that that they were hoping to put together were going to jointly own a newly incorporated company in Spain, which would share all future media and sponsorship rights derived from the competition. Right? So even for those teams, (laughs) you have 15 teams staying in every year, obviously, and they would always keep their revenue, they would always share equally among them. So even if you're one of those qualifiers, (laughs) you're, you're, you might as well be a team who's getting promoted into the first division, where except you don't get money. You don't get you don't get nearly <laughs> as much money for getting promoted than everyone else, so um yeah and 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 I guess in their bid to also some like in a way bribe the rest of these um leagues and the rest of these clubs right they the super league clubs were vowing to provide four hundred million euros in solidarity grants to the teams and governing bodies in other competitions which would have been a large increase over the funds currently provided by UEFA. So what I'm hearing again from
0: all of this, right, is trickle-down economics works.
1: That's that's what I'm – uh, Yeah, I'm we haven't even gotten into the – yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we haven't even no, gotten we, into we have not... the, the Florentino. Yeah, I mean – there, there are, there are just there are so many layers to this, right? Yeah. We,
0: we've covered, I think, that the the surface, right, of what the Super League is, what exactly they expected, you know, in terms of monetary compensation, how they were going to go about that. But I think the other layer, you know, deeper into that is how does now this affect, right, the rest of Europe's clubs, not just big clubs, not just small clubs, everyone. How does this affect the structural integrity of the footballing, I guess, competition, if you will. So for the purpose of this pod, what Ryan and I want to do is kind of talk about the, I don't want to call it pros and cons, because I think we're both very adamantly in agreement <laughs> that a Super League of any sort in this format is absurdly insidious. So what we'll do is kind of talk through the point of view of the, the 12 clubs that did sign on. And I'm saying, did past tense. (laughs) Now let's, let's start Rian with, I guess those arguments in favor of the Super League or why some of these clubs, you know, came together and do this to do this. And I think it's pretty fair to say that this isn't a new idea. This has been talked about for almost 20 years. I mean, if you go back and watch interviews and tapes there have been club presidents – I mean, I can even speak for Jean, Joan Laporta talking back in like 2004 about how a Super League might be a commercially attractive idea for some of these big clubs as another source of revenue. And I think in some ways the COVID pandemic sped that up, but at the same time, it's not like the small clubs and the, the, the medium clubs I, – I hate using these phrases, but any other club is not being affected by the pandemic – it's just that I think th- those clubs kind of saw this as an opportunity to, to almost justify the league in and of itself. So these 12 clubs, I'm assuming, got together over the last several years and basically drew up the structure. It's interesting to hear the reports, though. For example, Chelsea, right? There are reports today that they really only signed on at the end of last week. And maybe they were involved in the planning, maybe they, you know, heard about it and, and were not actively involved, but people are really seemingly finding out pretty recently about this. Not just, you know, players and managers, no one had any idea until Sunday, basically, but even clubs themselves really signed on at the last minute. So why don't, why don't we just talk about if you're Real Madrid, if you're Florentino Perez, if you're right, one of these quote unquote big clubs why are you trying to put this together because i guess the last thing i'll say is there is there's also no broadcaster that signed on to complete you know, the tv rights for any of this so
1: there is so the many... prime coming out specifically saying that we have yeah. not <laughs> that we are not in any negotiations for this yeah of, of course cuz why wouldn't they cuz
0: nothing is set in stone so there it's too much of a legal hassle so rian if you're florentino perez why are you putting together the Super League?
1: I, I think a lot of it stems from a genuine problem that not just Real Madrid has, right? I I know that it was Florentino Perez Perez who has been parroting this concept for two decades now, right? Um but the problem that he's speaking about is of uh, is an you, I hate to call it a problem because it, because you know it it is what it is. This is this is the nature of running a a soccer club, right? But soccer clubs generally have what's called like an appropriability problem, which basically just most of these clubs they haven't been able to make money out of more than just like a very very small share of like global global soccer fandom, right? so like most of the consumption of soccer happens on the TV and and not in a stadium and even most of our fan engagements occur from away away from the TV and away from the stadiums themselves right when you think about subred like team subreddits on on reddit you talk about the many blogs and and of course substacks you know no shameful I mean, yeah, yeah, blogs but... yeah 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 no, no but but um talk about TV shows you're talking about Podcasts even like every everything that everything that we read and just kind of consume um from a soccer sense, clubs are making almost nothing off of those, right, and so that's where all of this stems from right is is this feeling that especially these big clubs who see themselves as the reason that people watch the champions league the reason that people watch the premier league the reason that wa- that they watch la liga right they see this as well we're just getting what we think we deserve and and from a from a florentino perez side of this he obviously is disgusting and and we'll probably touch on his quotes from last night um the interview they did on spanish television but I think, you know, the thing that really got under his skin and, and maybe you can even look at Juventus, um, Juventus president and the Glazers in Manchester United, right, is that they felt in some way insulted that they had to share revenues and share TV um contracts at the same like proportional level. And and granted in Spain it. It's gotten better recently, right? It it used to be so much more tilted towards Barcelona, Real Madrid, but. Things like that must have eaten at them, And, and that is really where this all stems from and. No matter what is said, every club was hurting from Corona last year, every single industry was hurting from Corona last year, actually. So, um. From their point of view you can see that this is this is because they want the the money that they believe they deserve and because these clubs are so big and they expect to be able to get the biggest players and and um and have the best coaches and all this stuff and that costs a lot of money to them naturally they see or saw this concept as a way to fuel that beast
0: I, I think you said that perfectly. Um, I literally, I, I couldn't have said it better. The one, the one interesting thing in all of this, that proponents of the super league, which are basically these top 12 clubs. But I, I think this is probably the uncomfortable part of this, honestly, for us as fans is that, and we'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but part of what Florentino said last night, don't hate me, Riyadh, but I, I think part of it is true. I think that no one probably wants to hear it right yeah. now, but things like, you know, less interest from certain demographics or less money from TV, less competitiveness in the champions league. And, and even in some ways, maybe the domestic league. And I think probably La Liga is, is a good example of that in terms of a broadcasting point of view. Part of those are real concerns for clubs and not just the, the elite clubs in Europe. So he's not entirely incorrect, but the solution isn't to make the rich richer, right, and assume that the money will flow down as like an in-kind donation to some of these other clubs. <laughs> we'll like, we'll I just
1: kindly donate um, tens of millions of pounds for your <laughs> best player. Yeah, of course, of
0: course. <laughs> like, it, it makes absolutely no sense. And, and by the way, I should note while we're recording this, I told you that Twitter is going to be up in the background this whole time. Manchester City have officially announced themselves that they will be withdrawing from the European Super League so all of this is in real time, and I think. I think clubs are starting to realize that (laughs) there's a there's some power in fans voices, um, and I don't say that lately so.
1: I, I think yeah, and I think sorry sorry I've been I think. There may be a couple other perspectives too in this in the arguments for it right for for these from these clubs point of view right obviously real madrid that yeah their problem is is the gap is the is the amount of money that they that they didn't that they think they're missing out on right for some other clubs i, I think a really good point was made by one of the millions of people who was tweeting about this in the last couple of days because <laughs> that for this for the syria clubs um i mean i know at least a couple of them are Indebted to hedge funds, um, in the case of AC Milan. Right. But then you even think about Juventus. A team that wins it every year, right, has won the last 9. A's, but at the same time have not progressed. In any sense, in the last five years, really in the Champions League, since reaching the Champions League final against Barcelona in um, 2015, 2015, right? Yeah. Like they, they, they have not come remotely close to it again. And they, on some level, must be looking, must have looked at this, and looked at the money that is flowing into the Premier League and those top six clubs in England, right? And find themselves falling behind. So that's just another, another point of view for this, you know, from obviously a, I mean. <laughs> We can we can get into later maybe like the the Juventus president former president maybe now um the fact that he, he was on the U- UEFA's executive committee while at the same time behind their backs creating this and oh this this you know for a fact that this man did like a Wharton
0: executive course of some sort <laughs> to be able to to pull those shenanigans
1: I mean it, it and it does leave like I think one last argument for the from the Club's point of view, which is UEFA's terrible too. Like, don't like, look, we love that this is not happening, but at the same time, we can't forget that UEFA is more angry that this was done without them than the fact that this was done, period. Okay, so these clubs have never felt like they've gotten what they deserve from UEFA in the first place. And 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 look, that we don't have enough time to talk about, you know, that part of it, right? The 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 financial, how the money should be divvied up, and and whatever, right? But all of these teams, in one way or another, have felt wronged by UEFA. Sometime in the last decade, just to keep it <laughs> generous, right? You're th- you're thinking of Manchester City. Just last year, we're going to war with UEFA for financial fair play, right? So right there there are these other elements to why these teams saw this as a as a convenient way out honestly even if they weren't the ones leading the charge if they weren't the real madrid the manchester united um juventus who who are the three clubs that were rumored to be leading this charge most feverently um they had a convenient excuse to to join
0: yeah everything you're saying again resonating because I tweeted about this earlier, but we're talking about us now a situation where the super league is basically falling apart, but we can't just forget that it's not like I'm not, I don't mean to throw Chelsea under the bus. Right. But Chelsea kind of started it with the news earlier on. We're recording on a Tuesday afternoon. It, It kind of started with Chelsea fans protesting and Chelsea coming out and saying, you know, reports that, or leaving the super league. Like we can't just turn around tomorrow and be like, this never happened. Or like, there was still an active decision made by 12 club owners, maybe 11. If you count the fact that Barcelona had to be approved by Soci's, right? Whatever. But still there were 12 club owners that said, yes, let's do this. And purely because of the reaction are probably not going to be able to go through with it. This isn't, this is in a situation where, you know, they're void of blame. So let's right. not let's not forget that. Yes, we could, I mean, we could devote a whole <laughs> podcast to talking about UEFA's <laughs> antics, um, hashtag say no to racism, but yeah, <laughs> like let's let's keep it in the context of the super league, I guess, because that is a whole other whole other issue. But Rian, there's there's also the other side to this, which I think is pretty straightforward about why people are very upset about the Super League. Why why I mean, why is this not a viable option? Because it's been talked about for years. It's floated been floated for years. I, I guess if you're playing Devil's Advocate, it it would be neat <laughs> to see more of the big clubs play each other more often in concept. But explain to us, I guess, why you know you think the Super League is a bad idea. I I know I'm saying the obvious, right, but it, it's still helpful to hear it.
1: Yeah. And for me, I think there's there's two sides to why this particular um, proposal, this particular attempt was terrible. Right. And I I think I'll just I'll just start from the sporting sense of it. Right. It wouldn't take 23 years for the obvious, even more obvious competitive gap to open up between these 15 clubs and the rest of Europe, right? It it wouldn't take the 23 years. It would, I mean, thinking about the money they were going to get up front, right? It would have taken max probably five years, honestly. I mean, at max five years for, for us to be able to see it so obviously, and to a greater level, the, the domination that we would have seen, that we could have seen if they stayed in these, in these domestic leagues, where you know, they, they were att- attempting to have their cake and eat it too. I mean, it's simple as that, right? But the, the gap that would have opened up in these domestic leagues, which are already, from a competitive standpoint, more or less cannibalized by these clubs, these, these 12 clubs, right, from a financial point of view. I should say it because I mean we can argue that close to half of these clubs are not remotely one of the top fifteen clubs um, from a talent and form everything that comes with that over the past um, five years. Even I think we're <laughs> we're probably
0: thinking of like two clubs in particular. But yes,
1: <laughs> I mean there's I mean there's one of these Italian clubs has not been competitive for the last seven years until this season, right? <laughs> basically, um, basically. So from that point of view, um it just would have it just would have opened up a, a, a greater advantage that all that, than the one that already exists in the name of because at this point in time these are the twelve best tw- or fifteen richest clubs in the world. Yep. That's it, not best, richest. <laughs> like, right? Like and, and if we and if we did this proposal 14 years ago? Probably four of these teams, four to five of these teams are flopped, are, are switched. If we do this at the end of the 90s, you're talking about Leeds is most likely in here over, <laughs> over, uh, over Chelsea or Tottenham, honestly. Right. Right. So. And the it, the one thing
0: the one thing I'll add to um to that is. 10 years ago, Atletico are also probably not part of the conversation, right? 10 years ago, Atletico are a completely different team. I will say the fact that naturally it feels like Atletico are part of the Real Madrid Barcelona circle. Now, I think does a massive, massive service to to what Simeone has done. But to your point stands, it, it changes every five years, essentially.
1: Right. I mean, (laughs) again, not to like, not to try to just pile on teams, but honestly, If Tottenham, if this were to go through and Tottenham were to actually get this money and and be in this position financially, they would have owed Maurizio Pochettino 40%, at least, of that money. Okay, so so (laughs) let's just not, like, that's how, that's how this, that's how much this shit changes, right? Like, it's, um, but even on top of all that, you know, you, you lose the possibility of teams being, being lifted based on merit right and that's what this was threatening and and um from a player from a coach from a lot of the reaction that you've seen from players coming out um against this there's like a emotional point of view here of how a player's career progresses and how they know when they've become you know, a great player, and, or or a great club, or a great coach, or whatever, right? That natural progression was, you know, youth team, senior team, big team, big, big or not, and then Champions League, World Cup, whatever it is. With this, we were taking away all of the I mean, all of them—the the stories, like the the great stories that come with that, right? We would have like the storylines that we were about to lose. The the Leicester City—I mean, these are obvious ones. The Leicester City winning the title and then playing in the Champions League for once, and actually making it to the quarterfinals of the Champions League after, that season after, right? And we we were ready to—I mean, they they were so ready to basically tells that none of that matters. Essentially.
0: Yeah, it it, it basically you, you removed you removed football for, or the merit from football. You made it a competition. No, you made it entertainment for entertainment's sake. It's content. Is, it's it's content <laughs> but that, that that's no different from going on Netflix and spending exactly. 20 minutes choose what you watch that's no different it's the, the beauty of the game is its dramatization is its glamour is at the same time the hope that any of those teams playing in a one-off game whether it be the Champions League the Premier League La Liga any any league the hope That you can win and achieve something great with the risk that you can fall back is what keeps football going every single day. But if you remove all of that, then you're left simply with teams trading money back and forth, right? And generating revenue from the people watching that. And at some point, that probably loses its novelty because the beauty of the Champions League in in some way is that it doesn't happen very often. You're at the Let It Go Madrid versus Chelsea's. Well, that's probably a bad example because that does <laughs> somehow happen uh, every couple of years. But PSG-Bayern before last year, right? That sort of thing, that's a novelty. And I think that's part of why people, a lot of people were upset as well. So, Rian, that was, that was a lot. It was a solid 30 minutes of chattering before yeah. before we talk about the kind of the recent updates in the news, let's take a a brief break and we'll go into you know we'll go into florentino's interview yesterday. we'll talk about the captain's meeting this morning uh, you know we'll we'll talk about it all but b r b all right. Let's let's talk around about where we stand now with the Super League. Um last night let, let's start let's start with last night because that was a pretty eye-opening 30 to 40 minutes which Florentino Perez um I believe the term is was unhinged. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if there's quite frankly a better better phrase for it, but Florentino Perez went on TV, not even a Zoom call. He went on TV in the studio. To have a conversation uh, with him, forgetting which Spanish network now, um, but ultimately to discuss the details of the Super League. And for those of you that don't know, you know who Florentino Perez is. You know, really what he means to to Spain, to Real Madrid. A lot of I would say Real Madrid supporters kind of allude him to Santiago Bernabeo, who was a uh, president way back when for Real Madrid. Obviously, their stadiums named after him. He is a politician. He is ultimately, at his core, uh, just purely into politics. Right? That's that's how he kind of came into the role as president. How he really runs the club. And last week, he won re-election for the presidency of Real Madrid against nobody. That that's how that's how strong of a political presence this man holds in Spain. And I don't think that people understand it's just how well protected in some ways Florentino Perez is from, I guess, any opposition of any way. And I, I say protected by the it basically the integral structure of Real Madrid and how the club is is set up. Everyone basically reports it to him as, I don't want to say dictator, but it's definitely not a meritocracy. So it, it's it's basically Florentino, you're on, on Team Florentino or you're not. That's that's how it really works in Spain. So last night, Florentino Perez, right, goes on TV, starts talking about how all these teams can't leave the club, which was such a like mob mentality for me that yeah, you're in the super league now, you're not you're not going anywhere. <laughs> um, you know, no none of our players are gonna be banned from you know national team competitions, as well as
1: <laughs> the door is locked and the bouncers are <laughs> staying there, not allowing anyone to leave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And he basically
0: just took a dump all over UEFA on top of that. Like he, he basically called out the president of UEFA and said, you know, it was disrespectful what you said, basically in not so many terms, we provide all the entertainment and the the revenue for you. So kind of a a screw you type of thing. It was miraculous to see what he was saying. And I'd never seen it so explicit before. Um, But one of the themes around that I took away from that Is he kept repeating this idea that we are saving football like eight or nine times like he kept saying this over and over again like we are saving football this is for the good of football, and at some point, if you say it enough times I guess you can buy into your own lie, I mean, (laughs) I guess that's how it psychologically works, but. It, it it almost seemed so sus that he kept repeating that to the point where I was like, is no one picking up on this? I, I don't know why <laughs> that wasn't talked about more. So it seems as though his last 24 hours have been horrendous, but I don't really know. I, I really know what to make of Florentino Perez at times because he is a politician that played his hand terribly.
1: Yeah, I mean, everything happen. from that from that interview last night was spoken like. A man who truly just had come down from his literal ivory tower (laughs) after some sort of weird eyes wide shut kind of party with all his other rich friends and started telling us how the world works more or less started telling us about um how bad covid was last year for these clubs and and tried to convince us. I mean, convince. I don't even know if that's the right word. He he was just spewing words, basically, um, saying that oh, European football will be dead by 2024 if we don't do this. All of these clubs, big and small, will die. Um, you know, he played the hits. He played the Ronald Reagan hits. Look, we're <laughs> the big clubs. We'll yeah. get, we'll get all the money and then we'll distribute it. We just need the money first, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, we are going to be repaying these teams handsomely, more than they would be paying. But get paid by the UEFA. Um, just realize that we're more or less going to be making like three times that over this time period. I mean that. I mean even three times would be the ni- a nice way of putting it. But like it might <laughs> that might be generous, honestly. But um, yeah, he played all the hits. Played all the hits we'll we'll be paying you back by buying your players basically <laughs> um uh, overpaying actually <laughs> i mean unbelievable um on top of all of this the relationships that he and now potentially former Juventus president Agnelli former vice chairman of Manchester United um Ed Woodward were fracturing these relationships with all of these major federations and and look say what you want about them they're terrible obviously like they're terrible they're they're in this for the same reason that these guys just tried to leave and create their own thing right but at least they give the I guess for the moment being they give the illusion that they try right <laughs> whereas, basically whereas I think one of like the most shocking things about this is how brazen the attempt was by these clubs yeah, and and how they were so ready to do this without having um without having sponsors lined up without having all of your founding clubs in there without <laughs> having any sort of real um plan for when to start this how to distribute this money everything right um and then at the end of it, leaving a, I mean, seventy year old. At least you have to, you'd have to tell me how old he is. But a, a an outstandingly, disgustingly rich. Man, to go out and just start, spewing, just, uh, just vomit, just word vomit for like an <laughs> hour, um, on on national television, and basically have him be the spokesperson, um. It, it, it's the amount of thought that went into this. Who knows, honestly? And and what I find like most disgusting about all of this is the way that he tried to spin this as like a the pandemic caused this. This is why this is why the Manchester <laughs> United are in so much debt. This is why, uh, yeah, the pandemic is the reason why we're paying Gareth Bale four hundred thousand pounds a week to not play for us. The pandemic did this. Dude, golf is expensive. All right. right. I mean, it's just like during a time when a global pandemic decimated small businesses and almost anyone who's already very wealthy around the entire world. These guys were trying to basically bring the sporting sense of what we've seen happen in normal society, which is an already massive economic inequality gap that has been only widened in the past year by terrible politicians, your uh Perez, I guess, in this case, and just filthy rich. Uh, obviously, they're filthy rich if they're billionaires, but billionaires, and 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 for that, you can make it be the Glazers. <laughs> so, you have your filthy politician, you have your terrible billionaires, all of them, honestly, really, they're not just the Glazers, I should say, but all of them. And they decided that a power grab disguised as like a necessary evolution of the sport was, was the way to play this. And, and that everyone would just kind of shrug their shoulders and say, well, I guess it was coming.
0: Yeah, the, it, wasn't, it wasn't very smart. I mean, there's no other way to put it other than it was not well thought out plan this for, as Florentino Perez said, twenty years. Seemed like they planned it for about maybe two weeks. and <laughs> got together and they're like, they called Jamie Diamond and basically said, "Hey, so you got like four billion euros lying around? That that's basically how it sounds like this."
1: <laughs> but the craziest thing is, sorry, sorry to cut you off. It's like the craziest thing is from the financial from a Financial Times article on this right, is that <laughs> the term sheet for these for this loan. They've had it finalized since November of 2020.
0: I did not know that, really. Yeah. So there clearly was planning, and there of clearly course. was time to get you know sponsors, have those discussions, etc. I wonder, and this is just off-the-cuff thinking now, I wonder if the reason why there honestly aren't that many details is because, A, they did want to see the reaction of people before going down that route. And B, there they or, or I mean the polar opposite is B. They didn't want this leaked, so they didn't go down that route yet. So I, I don't know. I honestly don't know why I, um, that's the case. Because... I, I think
1: there's a, I think there's a third option even that's possible, which is not all of these clubs knew that this turn that these terms were agreed upon, right? And and we've heard rumors of Manchester City and Chelsea. Who were like pretty much approached and 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 peer pressured in yeah. in some ways on Friday, and the same was attempted, I think, of of PSG and and even Bayern, kind of almost bullied. And I hate, I'm not going to use the word bully. I'm not using the word bully for this, but <laughs> but it's it's um, like it's like a train
0: leaving the station.
1: Peer at, pressure. That. I think peer pressure is the, is yeah. the best way. You don't want to miss the train. Yeah, and uh, yeah, trying to create FOMO basically for these for these clubs. Um, on the the weekend before and basically saying hey we've got this all set up this money is ready to go like you will be missing out and and i think that's most likely what happened with a lot of the with some of these clubs um it's it's worth it to note this loan was going to be financed by jp morgan and just guess whose vice chairman used to work for jp morgan chase (laughs) I think it's uh A Manchester United's. Do I get a million dollars though? Yes. Now? yes. <laughs> and I should have even said former vice president now, right? Yeah. At it the in 2021. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, of course, of course. Um yeah, he's got he's got to get his bonus at the end of the, the year. <laughs> he knows how it works, yeah, of course. Um but yeah, from that obviously from that sense it was just it was just disgusting it was disgusting money grab a disgusting power grab um from i mean obviously just just people who only cared about one thing right and they only cared about making money and for the century that established professional soccer clubs have existed they have never been money making operations right. this is i think that's what makes us the difference between a lot of american sports here or our major sports right is that our leagues were created to make money right they were created to make money they they, <laughs> they were created because the sport was popular obviously too right in the same in the same way in the uk and the rest of europe but They were created with the intention of making money.
0: It started as a business, yeah,
1: exactly. And that's that's not culturally, that's not the history of European soccer. That's just it's just not. And you think about like so much of these clubs were, or so many of these clubs were were owned by local local millionaires at one point, obviously, and 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 just the local massively rich people, or in Germany's case, owned by the fans right um it's just it's just it's just really disappointing that we that that it was even put together like this um and that that they had the confidence the hubris that this would work i mean it was sad. It was very. It was. It was very sad to see how how it, <laughs> they thought this was going to unfold, and how and how they were ready ready to bully the rest of the continent <laughs> into into um, basically just giving up. I mean, basically, basically, <laughs> like, <laughs> succumbing
0: to the the or I guess conforming to to the um big 12 i guess if you want to call them i don't know <laughs> right i mean it big would have been 12. The,
1: yeah yeah right. but
0: yeah i mean the okay so what where are we now with uh <laughs> with with the super league and with i don't know um with just all of this in general um I just a, a couple of other things that i'll mention right so what we know this morning jordan henderson called a meeting of all the premier league captains who got together i think the, the details of that are a little fuzzy, but we have seen on social media that Jordan Henderson and the rest of the Liverpool squad have basically come out in, in protest, right, sharing this slogan of we're opposed, we're against this, um, you'll never walk alone, that sort of thing. Um, and it was pretty unanimous. We also know, right, that City have kind of officially started proceedings to withdraw from the Super League that I don't think can be said about Chelsea or any other club just yet, at least officially,
1: but at least we We know know we've heard rumors. Well, there've been reports that, that um, Chelsea and Atletico Madrid and Barcelona are, are all um,
0: on the way, making
1: preparations to leave. Right. Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. So (laughs) I think that, I guess the ultimate question is where does this leave things between now and like the end of the season? I don't like these teams are still playing UEFA competitions. You have the Euros, Copa America and the world cup coming up in the next year and a half, basically. So I think the ultimate question is how does this affect all of that? And there is no perfect answer. Unfortunately, I mean, we can probably say with, um, you know, pretty, pretty big confidence that none of these players are going to be kind of banned from the Euros, right? Because it really right. isn't their fault in any way. And also the players themselves, or I should say the clubs themselves, are having doubts and this is basically falling apart. I guess the only thing that I have hesitancy about now, I guess there are a couple of questions that are unknown, is how does this affect teams in their domestic play, right? Will there be ramifications from the FA? Will there be ramifications from the Spanish Federation? Or, you know, I'm I'm talking about things like points deducted or um, you know, bans of some sort that's transfer I don't know. I don't know. I'm just purely speculating. But at the same time, again, what happens to these clubs in in the in the short term now? No, no one really has a perfect answer to that. Um, and what we've seen, I think, in the last 12 hours, on and again, we're recording this on a Tuesday afternoon, so could change by tomorrow. But what we've seen is that there are serious doubts about the legitimacy of this. I think UEFA would probably welcome back all of these teams with the exception yeah. of Real Madrid, but for and I'll get to that in a second, but they would probably welcome these teams back because they have. Vested monetary interest, of course, in of being around, and, that, and that's
1: that's the that's the other part, right? Like the like, yep. <laughs> and always the the best scenario for UEFA was to was for them to come back, obviously, and, and for them to come back like willingly, right? Because they yeah. couldn't, they they most likely weren't going to be able to make them come back, right? Um, exactly, yeah. And I mean, I think we're I think we're already seeing what the consequences are of of what's happened here right where the relationship between manchester united and uefa was absolutely shattered shattered because uefa's president came out and said on monday that he had just spoken to ed woodward last thursday who told him that he was all for the reform the the new champions league reforms which like we uh, on another day we can talk about those reforms and how it, you know, that's that's already kind of like trying to tilt the scale more, but whatever um but you talk- you think about him and now he has resigned from manchester united that has to have something to do with it um the reports of Juventus's president resigning as well the, after the comments that he has made about um the uEFA president and and the UEFA president himself has said that the man just lies just lies a lot um and has lied a lot to to the rest of the uefa um executive board right uh you're seeing the consequences of right now of it right now it's it in this scenario where chelsea and manchester city pull um announced or announced intentions of trying to pull out right it left those clubs specifically united and and i think juventus and and real madrid now too um, It has left them in a terrible situation, um, relationship-wise, going forward with, with the rest of Europe. I mean, and we can say the same about the rest of the clubs, of course, but for the figureheads of those three clubs that I mentioned, it, yeah, this the, the consequence of that is that it makes sense that if, if a couple of them resign, because there's truly no place for them now in this power structure.
0: That's true. I think the interesting thing, too, with all of this is UEFA were in a really bad position about 24 hours ago. I was genuinely of the opinion that this was fully going to happen, regardless of what UEFA did. I I thought that all 12 of these clubs, if they were in unison, keyword, if they were in unison, wanted to make this happen, that they could. The only way it didn't happen... And UEFA didn't need to come down with some sort of hammer or at least try to, you know, just outright ban some of these clubs starting next week in the semifinals was if some of these clubs on their own decided to go separate ways. And that, I think, ultimately is what changed. The clubs themselves are having doubts based on the reactions of people. And that's helped UEFA enormously get back into the conversation because – now the leverage is kind of tipping. And I want to just harp on Real Madrid for one second, given that they were kind of the leaders in all of this. Real Madrid and Florentino Perez, I think, are going to see the most of the backlash, right, as a club, not necessarily as players, but as a club. But there have been reports that, you know, Florentino's under a lot of pressure and, you know, might resign, blah, blah, blah. Of all the presidents and all of the owners in these 12 clubs, <laughs> Florentino Perez is the last one to go because of how protected he is in Spain, because of how the institution treats him because of the figure he's become at Real Madrid. I'm honestly of the opinion that in a couple of months, this will, I don't want to say fully blow over, but for the purposes of him, you know, running the day-to-day operations of the club, I think people will look back and still think of Florentino Perez as the band that won them. Three Champions Leagues in a row, right? The the man who brought in Cristiano Ronaldo, the man who was responsible for a lot of the success. Florentino Perez is almost like a mystic creature of some sort in Spain, <laughs> and you can't you can't say the same about Ed Woodward, or you can't say the say the same about you know I, I'll say the Glazers, or Kroenke, or Daniel Levy. You know any of these chairmen, you can't say the same about. So I don't expect like a just. A red wedding style of all of these owners or presidents or chairmen's right now but i think in due time we'll see two things happen right this is my kind of general prediction for the the long term i think one you're going to see some of these clubs punished in some way for for these actions i don't know what that will be i think that'll be up to uefa that'll be up to the fa's but in some ways they will be punished and if they aren't then UEFA is basically asking for this to happen in a different format again. B. I think that over the next 2 to 3 years we're going to see the Champions League change significantly now. Yeah. I don't think that the changes that were approved on Monday, right, the the bigger format with the the you know, getting rid of the group stages, that sort of thing is going to be the final version for what was I think the 2023 uh 2024 season. Um, as a start, that I think is not radical enough, and I think it just goes to show that, right, we all know that over the last twenty years that it's <laughs> uEFA has started to shift towards what those big twelve clubs want anyway in terms of format, but now I think we're just gonna see that acceleration over the next two to three years and likely some sort of middle ground adopted for for what that might be, so
1: that's what I fully expect yeah i I think. No matter what, I, I think that whether this happened or not, and and it's looking more likely than more likely not than yes, <laughs> um, this this is this is going to lead to a lot of changes, to a lot of structural changes, um, club wise, competition wise. It, it's this won't be like forgotten, right? I'm thinking about even from the Premier League um, clubs sense nothing will ever has ever united the 14 other clubs in the, in England more than this and going forward that might be for the best this might be for the best if if all of the rest of the clubs in, in these leagues just have a natural distrust of these teams and it might be the best outcome overall it might end up being leading to more more equitable circumstances in um in European soccer. That might be hopeful too, but anyway. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah but. very
0: optimistic. I, I think I think this is one of those times where you kind of have to keep
1: the hope in some ways. Because the alternative
0: right. is is much worse. So right. Will, because what I, this is
1: I, sorry. Oh sorry, let's go on. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, No, I will concede that I think that's a fair assumption.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean what this has shown is that like there is power in, in the fans and there's power in these players and and just right and just you know i i mean this is this is the good populism i'll put it this way right this is this is populism when when it it works works (laughs) well right um but yeah this is uh we hope just hope that that like lessons are learned from this again from the from the teams not who are one of those 12 (laughs) um and true and let's hope, too, that something fucking happens with UEFA, too, man. because we know that that they are by no means heroes in this story. So No, no, not at all. Let's get that very clear. But I will say I think
0: that's probably all of our thoughts on so far on the Super League, whatever is to come of it. It's very fluid. So, honestly, we might have to do a podcast later in the week again talking about the Super League. No one's really, no one's talked about, like, I haven't even had the chance to digest the fact that Barcelona won their first trophy, right? Since 2018, 2019, over the, this past weekend, Chelsea are currently pooping the bed against Brighton, right? I, we didn't even have a chance to talk about any of the Premier League games over the week. Like, this is, this is huge. This is, that's how important this all is. So I'll leave you with that parting thought and, uh, Probably we'll be back later in the week talking about the same thing with more updates, honestly.
1: We still have the Champions League semifinals next week, too. So,
0: Oh, yeah. For, I completely forgot about that. No one even <laughs> has thought about the... Real Madrid. I'm telling you, Real Madrid versus Chelsea next week is going to be the most interesting semifinal in a long time. <laughs> I cannot wait. PSG City is probably even more entertaining for purely footballing reasons, but for the narrative... It's all narratives, man. We've we've (laughs) gone back and forth. We said this all narratives. So anyway, Ryan, I'm done. I'm done talking about Super League. I need a drink, so I'm gonna I'm gonna not Super League for a little bit, (laughs) and we'll wrap it up.
1: Thanks, guys.